You know, they can really sing, y'all. We, we ought to praise God. This, I tell you, it's like having a whole choir in back of you. Let's, let's give them a special round of for today. They really can sing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This morning, I want to talk about the spiritual warfare that is taking place in our minds. As Christians, each day we are engaging in warfare, and that warfare, according to Second Timothy, Second Corinthians ten, is not carnal. It's not fleshly. It is spiritual. It is a spiritual warfare in which Satan uh, engages us. I'm going to be looking at Genesis three in just a moment, but Satan uses our minds. He deals with our minds. He tries to trip us up. And what he does is that he engages us in warfare that causes us to literally defeat ourselves. Satan has no power to demon possess as he once did. And so the only power that he has is to get us literally to destroy our own selves. And he does that by virtue of our thinking process. I was talking with Glenda about this sermon this week, and I thought I had a real good sermon, and then she gave me the real highlight of the sermon, the, the real point that I need to share with you. I said, how do you, how would, how do you envision this notion of uh, the spiritual warfare that Satan um, go, embattles uh, the, the, the children of God with and how he deals with it? And she said that, she said, Satan attacks us at the point of our core weaknesses. I thought that was really profound because that's what he does. He literally has to use the stuff that we have unresolved, the issues that we have, the things that trouble us. He, he attacks us at that point, our core weaknesses. And then he literally gets us to sabotage ourselves. And that's what he does. He, and that's how we, we play, he plays tricks on us through that. And, and, and then she, she went on to say that in order to overcome that, we must be aware of what our core weaknesses are. And then we must be looking to fortify ourselves on that front because that is precisely where the devil is going to attack us at the moment, at the point of our core weaknesses. He gets us to literally to use uh, stuff against ourselves. And so I want to go to Genesis chapter 3. And I want to uh, talk about for a moment, the first part, the deception of Eve. And, and, and I want to go on record again as saying that the deception of Eve is really the dereliction of Adam. Uh, for years we have... We have uh, even the uh, church fathers uh, called the woman the seductress, uh, trying to say that Eve and trying to infer that Eve was responsible uh, for, for in seducing Adam. And that's why he fell into sin, and that simply is not true. When I was a young boy coming up in the church, I remember the jokes they used to tell. They said, uh, a woman would say, if it wasn't for a woman you wouldn't have a preacher. And then the man would come back and say, if it wasn't for a woman, you would need a preacher. 
as though the woman was responsible for everything that happened in the world and for sin coming in the world, and that's not true. Uh, the Bible doesn't give it that way. As a matter of fact, when God gave Eve her punishment, it was not a curse, incidentally. He only cursed two things. He cursed the serpent, and then he cursed the whole earth, not because of Eve, but because of Adam. And he said, because you listened to your woman instead of listening to me. He says, cursed is the earth for your sake. I'm cursing the ground. So when you see those weeds and thistles and thorn bushes and all that stuff and unfertile ground, that's Adam's contribution to mankind. The whole earth was cursed. And I, I might just go on and, 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 and say this further, uh, that, that when, you know, Eve didn't come along until several verses after God told Adam. Do you not know that Eve was not even created? She was not even created. When God planted the tree and put the man in the garden, there was no woman. And he said to the man, he gave him the commandment. Of all the trees that are in the midst of the garden, you may eat of, but of the one that's in the midst of the garden, of all, the one that's in the midst of, of, the, of the tree of, of, of good and evil, you shall not eat. And then later when you look in that verse, that was in verse 15. In verse 18, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a woman. So, so, brothers, we need to stop this whole business of blaming women for what's wrong. It was the man. Amen, brothers? See that? See how weak that is? Amen, sisters? Amen. See, that's how you say amen. Sisters, y'all need to say that a little bit better. Is that right, sisters, that I'm talking about? That, 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 that's all I'm saying. See, so brothers, y'all listen to the women, and they'll teach us how we, ought to, how we ought to say that. The reality is, is that in my home, I came to realize years ago, because I started off like some, so many other men, saying that the woman is the center of the home and, and therefore when things went wrong, then of course we could always go to our women and blame them. And I began to realize years ago that whatever's broken in my home, that's on me. I didn't say I broke it. It's my responsibility. That's what it means to be head. Not boss, but intelligence to fix it. So whatever the problem is that goes on with our children, that's on me. I'm responsible. That's what it means to be man. Let's go on and let's deal with this, uh, with this uh, discussion. I want to go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. I actually have two sermons I'm trying to get into one. <laughs> and so, so I'm just going to give you the first part. And the first part deals with the strategies that Satan uses uh, to, to deal with and distract and, and to really deceive Eve. I want to look at those strategies first of all and, and look at what he does. Now the, the text says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, the serpent was more subtle uh, than any beast of the field, uh, more cunning. Uh, cunning means he was crafty, he was, uh, he, was, he was clever, he was even conniving and and, uh, and 
And so the bottom line is, is that, and we look at the, say, the serpent, we find that in Revelations that he calls, God calls him uh, Satan, that dragon. Uh, in Revelations 12, he calls him the serpent of old. So regardless of what people think about the origin of who, when Satan came, Satan actually was em embodying that serpent. He's responsible for the deception. But, but, but the Bible says that, notice what he does. I want to talk to you about five D's that Satan uses uh, to deal with getting us to destroy ourselves. The first one is that of, of distraction. Verses 1, 2, and 3, notice what he does. He comes to Eve and he says, Has God indeed said you should not eat of every tree in the garden? And then the woman says, well, we may eat of the trees in the garden, but, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you should not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Now, now he really didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat of it. But, but the point is, is that uh, Eve, notice what he's doing. He's distracting her. Instead of focusing on God and what God had said, he engages her and now gets her to focus and listen to him. She's distracted. She's no longer. See, as long as we are focused on the Lord and our focus is on God, Satan can't do anything with us. So what does he do? He comes along to get us distracted. And then once we are distracted, how do you get distracted? Take your mind off God and to begin to focus on the situation that's at hand. That's how he distracts us. He distracts Eve. And then he comes along with the second D. And that D is that of deception. Notice in verse 4, he says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. He flat out lied. He was kind of thinking he was telling the truth because they didn't die that day. But the fact was, they did die that day. Notice, we'll see what happens. You'll not surely die. That's deception. Satan, notice, this is all so that Eve can use her mind to sabotage herself. And that's what's happening. And then the Bible says that there's, here's that third D, verse 5. And that one is dissatisfaction. You ever notice that you're going along just fine? You find yourself distracted. You find yourself then uh, being deceived and then you become dissatisfied. How, you know, everything looks so beautiful until you see somebody else's house. You ever notice that? The car you have is just fine until you see your neighbor's car. <laughs> uh, the woman you have, oh well, dissatisfaction notice verse 5 God knows that in the day you eat your eyes will be open you'll be like God knowing good and evil God is holding things back from you 
God was sufficient up until that point. Now Eve begins to question. It's a new shining object. And now she becomes dissatisfied. So then, thus the fourth D, discouragement. Discouragement. So the woman, when the woman saw the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband, her henpecked husband, with her. And he ate. You said didn't say henpecked. Well, it infers it when we look at what really happened. <laughs> Notice discouragement. She was fine until the serpent started to getting her to think. You know what? That tree is good for fruit. It is pleasant. It will make me wise. You know, the, the rest of that sentence... Why is God trying to hold things back from me? That's really the essence of what she's talking, what she's doing. She's become discouraged. And then finally, he can launch that final attack. Destruction. That's where he destroys us. But guess what? It really was us destroying ourselves we got distracted we became deceived we're really deceiving ourselves because we had the truth we become dissatisfied we then become discouraged and then we are destroyed notice what happens with this destruction first of all there was a loss of their innocence. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked. And they sewed fig trees together. Made themselves coverings. No more innocence. They were naked all this time. But they... It didn't bother them. But now all of a sudden, they're no longer innocent. And then when you're no longer innocent, other things begin to come. Secondly, shame. Verse 8. When they heard the voice, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You see what's happened now? God always walked in the cool of the day. He always met them. What's different now? Now they know they're naked. And they have shame. Shame comes in when you know you're doing something that you have no business doing. Shame. Y'all still with me? Stay on the bus. I was going to preach, but I'm not. I'm just going to teach. 
this is a teaching sermon. I said I was going to preach this afternoon, but I'm not. I'm just going to teach, so stay with me. So then after they now, uh, having feeling shame, they, they, having lost their innocence, they, they feel guilty, they feel shame. Notice what happens now. Fear and embarrassment. Verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? Notice what Adam said. I heard your voice in the garden. He only comes every day in the garden in the cooler today. But notice the answer. I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. You see the guilt? You see the shame? You see the fear now? The embarrassment? And now they're hiding. Hiding from God. You cannot hide from God, folks. And you cannot hide from yourself. And Satan full well knows it. But all the things that is happening, they're doing it to themselves. And so then finally, the text says that they then begin to go into this blame and responsibility. Notice what happens. God says to Adam, what have you done? And, 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 and here's what Adam responds in verse 12. The woman whom you gave to be with me gave me of the tree and I ate. The blame, blaming, you see the blame? You see the failure to accept responsibility? You see actually the lie, the untruthfulness. You know what the truth was? He could have left all the rest of that out. He just said, I ate. That's the truth. But instead of just speaking the truth, I ate, he first of all blames God. God, here I was in the garden, minding my own business, doing just fine. You came along and you gave me this woman. You know what he said? It's all your fault. You gave me the woman and then look at what she did. She gave me the fruit. And I ate. You know, it's just, it's amazing how, because just a little chapter before, just a few, a little bit before, when he brought the woman to the man, the Bible says the man looked at the woman and literally he said, wow. You know, uh, if he's black, he, he said, ooh wee. <laughs> I mean, whoa, this is it. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. And now look at him. Throwing his beautiful bride under the bus. Blaming God and blaming her. Instead of taking responsibility, men have been doing that 
every sense. Come on, brothers. We need to own up. Stop blaming God and our wives for the messes that we get ourselves in. Do you know what the text said earlier? We saw it earlier, didn't we? She gave it to her husband who was with her. Jonathan, I still haven't gotten over that. I'm still, when I get to heaven, I got to ask Adam one thing. I, I don't mean to call back other things, but I got to ask him one thing. Can you just explain to me why you let the devil rap to your woman? You're standing there. Adam, can you, I'm not trying to, you know, cause nothing. I just want to know, because it's been bothering me all these years. Why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you take over the conversation? Why didn't you just say something like, well, she wasn't there, so you need to talk to me. No. He stood right there, let the devil talk to his woman, took the fruit himself, and then blamed God and her for his sin. The reason why I know it's not on her because in Romans chapter 5, that whole chapter, that whole section, he goes on to give great pains for the theological discussion to let us know that it's through one man, Adam. Sin came into the world. And through the one man, Jesus, that grace came. This was on Adam. Don't you let the devil talk to your woman. And you stand in there. Hello? Take responsibility. All right, well, somebody said, well, you've gone on a long time about that. I have. I'm going to part two now. I'll tell you it was two sermons, and I could only do one. So let me just do the second part of this sermon, and let's see if we can bring it to an end. So we see what happens. There's distraction, the devil, deception, dissatisfaction, discouragement, and then there's the destruction that enters. But the ultimate destruction came in Genesis 3 and verse 22 when God says they're just like one of us. We cannot allow them to stay in this garden and eat of this fruit and live forever. So now God expels them from the garden, from their paradise. And they no longer have direct access to God walking in the cool of the day. And then he puts a cherubim to guard that garden so that man cannot come in and eat and live forever with sin. How do we deal with that? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 10. I want you to see something here that, and then I'm going to bring this to an end very close, very quickly. Well, as quickly as I can. I want you to see what happens here. And I, I'm going to go ahead and just use this, the English text instead of, instead of my Greek text here. I want you to see the transition. Paul begins with, now I. I want you to notice, I myself, pleading with you by the gentleness of God who is in presence, uh, in presence is lowly among you, but being absent and bold. But I beg that when I am present, I may not be bold. Y'all see this? That which comes by which I 
intend to be bold. Did y'all see that? And then notice how he switches, how, these, how the, how the uh, proverb changes. I intend to be bold against those who think us. Who is the us? The us includes Paul and his audience, the Corinthians. And then he goes on to say, for we, no longer I, because this is common to mankind. For we walk, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. No longer I. This is something that's common to all of us. For the weapons of our Wherefore are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every thought that exhausts itself against the, the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Did y'all see all that? Paul shifts from I to we. And what Paul wants us to realize is that, is that our battle is a battle that every Christian, every child of God has. It's not carnal. It's not fleshly. Therefore, when we deal with these, with the battles that the Satan comes against us, we need to understand that our human reasoning will not suffice. You cannot will yourself, determine yourself that you are not going to do wrong and then be able to be successful. People keep saying, I keep trying so hard, I just keep trying and I'm not able to do it. And that's the problem. You are trying. You can't win this battle with human ingenuity. This is a spiritual warfare, folks. And the only way you can win it is with spiritual weapons. And how do I gain that? I gain that through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, as he begins, and I'm closing, trying to close now, y'all stay with me. As he begins to talk to the Ephesians brothers about, about how they engage with God and what have you, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, who is, who is, who is, who is the head of, of the, all the, the family on heaven, in heaven and on earth. And he says, one thing I'm praying, I'm praying that he might give to you to be strengthened, to be empowered with might through the Holy Spirit in your inner man or inner being. Notice what he says. Not that God just gives you the strength, but that God through his spirit strengthens you in your inner being. And I want to say to you, if you're going to overcome Satan and the tax that he rallies against you, you've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. That's why the importance of being a child of God is not just about being baptized. Yes, but he says, when you're baptized, guess what? You're going to receive the gift of the Spirit. Why do we need the Spirit? Because with the Holy Spirit, we gain the power to engage Satan 
in warfare. There are several things that he does. He gives us the power to tear down strongholds. Those are thoughts that have been packed up on top of one another so much to where they built a fortress of strongholds. Only God's spirit can empower you to overcome that. He gives us the power to cast down arguments and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I'm so glad today that Jesus saved me and beyond the fact that he saved me, I'm so glad he gave me the power. The ability to have the power to overcome whatever struggles I have. One of my problems that I've had in the past for much of my life has been the problem of catastrophizing. Catastrophizing is that thing that you do when you believe nothing's going to go right. That's because you've been living a life where nothing ever went right. And so therefore, the temptation that I have when things are not well, the first thing that I begin to do is to begin to invent all of the reasons why this is going to go wrong. I know I'm the only one in here that has that problem. So I just let you know about that. But let me tell you what I've learned to do. I've learned that I cannot by willpower overcome catastrophizing. Only by God's power through his Holy Spirit. And so what I've done in my own life, and I'm closing with this final thought. You know, I closed three times today. <laughs> but this time I really am. Philippians chapter 4 is my go-to passage. I've shared that with you before. It's what I use. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice because I had a tendency to be down. So then when I find myself down, I begin to praise God. See, I sing myself a song. <laughs> so I can get myself out of that. I use the power. I begin to praise God and begin to thank him. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is near. I remind myself he's right there. He's not deserted me. He's right there. And then he says, stop being anxious for anything problem I had was anxiety and I don't allow my anxiety when those thoughts come I capture those thoughts and I pray God I'm beginning to become anxious I need you to come right by here and deliver me he says so stop being anxious but instead of being anxious in everything by prayer by supplication, with thanksgiving. And so I begin to say, God, I'm feeling anxious. What am I asking him for? What's my supplication? I need you to remove my anxiety. The devil wants me to think that this is going to not end well, but it's always with you. Even if I die, it still ended well. I'm going to glory. And so I say with thanksgiving, and then I begin to thank him for everything he has done. I always thank him 
for saving me when I was lost and utterly lost in sin and then sending my woman to live with me for life. I thank him for her regularly. And when I begin to praise God and thank him, you can't be depressed. I begin to thank him. And then he says, the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. That peace that God has will stand on guard. It'll guard your mind. That is your thinking process. It will guard your heart. That's your seat of emotions. And then I can go on my way rejoicing. The devil is a liar. And you don't have to continually sabotage yourself. Give it to Jesus. Give it to God. Ask him that his spirit will empower you in your inner being to overcome that junk you've been thinking about and let it go. That's all I got. Lena's got something for us.